Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7. We're going to focus on verse 14 and those following verses in a moment. I appreciate Zach just preparing our hearts even to hear the word for being able to declare his greatness. Isn't it awesome to declare the greatness of our God? I mean, we recognize how wonderful he is. And even maybe this week, maybe this week we've stopped. This is that 4th of July weekend and many of us have stopped and we have thanked God for his greatness. We have thanked him for the freedom that he has given us. We have thanked him in so many ways for the liberty that we have each and every day. Even last night, I don't know about you, but man, I was blessed as we saw uh, the program that was presented on social media through the radio last night. Hey, if you haven't watched it, you can go back and you can watch it on our Facebook or YouTube. You can do that this week. Don't do it now in here, or hopefully those of you live stream, don't switch over to that. Rather, focus here where we are, but I would encourage you to go back and look at that program and just allow it to minister to your heart. Of course, the fireworks last night, it was great to be able to stop and for us to know that our God is a great God and that he has delivered us and he has given us a nation in which we can experience some measure of freedom and we're thankful for that. You know, we recognize though that the God that we serve is not just the God of our nation. I hope we recognize that. We can pray to God, we can thank Him, we, can, we certainly should ask Him to do a work in our nation. But our God is so much bigger than just our nation. Our God is the God of all nations. Our God is the one who wants to display His sovereignty and His glory among all peoples. And that's what I want to show you, that even in the book of Exodus, I mean, think of this. In the book of Exodus, you're not thinking nations. You're not thinking about the world necessarily. When you go to Exodus, you're thinking about Israel in Egypt. And yet, even in the messaging that you find in Exodus, God is trying to show how He, yes, loves His people and how He's going to deliver His people but also how he's going to display his glory among the nations in that process. So I want to show you that this morning as we look at Exodus chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. It says, So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water, and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand. And you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die, the river shall stink. And the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, and over all their pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died, the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. 
Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned, went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for the water to drink, because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. So here God speaks to Moses, and he says, I want you to go back to Pharaoh. I want you to declare once again to Pharaoh what I intend for my people. I intend for their deliverance. You go back and you tell them that. Now remember, Moses had already been before Pharaoh. He'd already seen Pharaoh in his stubbornness, hardened his heart. Back in chapter 5, Moses had marched in there and he had declared the word of God. And Pharaoh said, not going to happen. Not going to happen on my watch. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, Pharaoh said, Who's this Lord you're talking about? You mention a God. You mention a Lord. I don't know this Lord. I don't know this God. Why would I even begin to listen to him or obey him? So when I come to chapter 7, verse 14, it's kind of like, like God says, All right, Pharaoh says he needs a formal introduction. Pharaoh says he needs to know who I am. He hasn't quite grasped my, my character or my power yet. So Moses, what I'm going to ask you to do is kind of march back in there, and I want you to give him a good introduction of who I am. And I'm going to introduce myself to Pharaoh, and the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to show my power, and I'm going to demonstrate that I am not just the God of the Hebrews, but I'm also the God of the Egyptians, that I'm the God of all nations. So I want you to march in there and do that. How does he do it? First of all, he shows that he is the Lord over nature itself. Notice verse 17. God says, I will strike. I will strike. The idea is that God is going to use the forces of nature themselves to show his goodness, his glory. He's going to use all of these plagues. We're going to see like 10 plagues. He's going to use all of those and demonstrate how he is the Lord over nature. Now, in the years past, a lot of people would come to this passage and the plagues themselves, and they'd try to explain them away through like natural phenomena. They would try to say, well, you know, the frogs died, and because of that, there was a chemical reaction that started this and that. I mean, you can read all these kinds of theories about how everything was natural, but there wasn't anything just natural about the plagues. I would suggest to you that the timing, the selectivity, and even the intensity of the plagues demonstrate that God was behind them. What do I mean by that? The timing. When you read through this section of Scripture and you notice how the plagues come, notice how they come so often on demand. Like when Moses speaks and Moses said, this is what's going to happen, it happens. Don't you wish you had that kind of power sometime? Like you could just speak it and it would come into existence. I've been on a deer stand before. I've tried that. I said, God, would you give me a big buck right in front of me? God, would you give it to me? Now, I will tell you, I have prayed some of the most sincere prayers on a deer stand. But it has not necessarily happened every time for me. I wished I could. I wished I could speak it into existence. But when Moses spoke, it happened because he was speaking for God. So the timing of it all tells us that it wasn't just a natural occurrence. The selectivity. What do I mean by that? Well, when you read through this passage of Scripture and you look at the plagues, you will note that the plagues will affect whom? The Egyptians. It will be in the land of Egypt. 
And often the land of Goshen will be mentioned specifically as being spared. The land of Goshen where the people of Israel would live. So God is making some kind of distinction here. So when the plague comes, it doesn't affect everyone. It just affects the Egyptians. That tells us that it wasn't just natural. And then the intensity. You don't have just a storm. You have hail itself beating everything down. You don't have just a disease. You have a disease that infects livestock everywhere and kills basically all the intensity of it. Because God's behind this. Because God himself is the Lord over nature. And he's demonstrating himself. It's kind of like Chesterton said some years ago. He said, even the rising of the sun is not natural. Most of us think it is. But the rising of the sun is a God-ordained event. God looks at the sun every morning and he says, hey, get up, go do it again. Get up, go rise again. Because our God is in control of all nature. Do you believe that? He's in control of all creation. So what you have here is the first plague. And I want to just show you those plagues for a moment. The first plague that God brings is striking at the Nile, the river, the place of life. What he does is he says, this water will become blood. Water is one of the most basic components of life. You gotta have water to survive, do you not? Hey, recently I've started watching some different like uh, reality shows. I, I've fallen kind of for some of these shows where they like take you and they drop you out in the middle of nowhere and like they leave you for a while, like by yourself. Sometimes they might have a couple or something. They'll drop you out there and then you gotta survive. And the longest one who survives wins. Have you seen some of you seen some of these? Like uh, shows, any of you? No, none of you have seen? Okay. Well, that's just kind of the way I pass time every now and then is to watch these kinds of programs. And I, I kind of enjoyed it. I, I've kind of been thinking I could do this. I've been thinking I could get a plan together. And I could go on this show and they could drop me in the middle, middle of the wilderness, maybe the Arctic or there in uh, the Vancouver Island area or so. I could go do that. I could just... You know, I, I could. Don't you think I could? You better hope I could because if I got a million dollars, I could tithe off that. You, I mean, that's ministry right here, baby, right here at Temple Baptist Church. I'm thinking, I think I could do that. I've been trying to get my plan together because I've been watching all these shows and I see how they do it. And one thing I realize I got to do first off, I got to find some fresh water. I got to find water. You cannot survive without water. So I got to find water. Here it says the Egyptian supply of water had been cut off. Had been cut off. All of it was blood. It didn't matter which pond you went to, which stream you went to. Even your buckets were, your buckets were filled with blood. There would be no bathing, no drinking, no cleansing. There, there, would, be, there would be a shutdown in a sense of life. Hey, just a few weeks ago, do you remember... Do you remember the chaos that ensued when there was no toilet paper? Do you remember that? People were looking for toilet paper. My mother-in-law found toilet paper somewhere in North Mississippi and shipped it to us just so that we would make sure that we had toilet paper. But even in that, when you went into the grocery store, sometimes you couldn't find milk or bread or those kinds of things. 
And you saw people, people almost panicking. But could you imagine your water supply be cut off? And what does it say? Cut off for seven days. There is no water that they can really find, at least from the Nile, seven days. This is the reason Chuck Swindoll said that God's first punch to Egypt was a bl body blow to the very heart of Egyptian life. I mean, when God starts out here, he gets their attention. And he brings about this plague because he is the Lord over nature. But when you continue down, you'll see how he brings frogs, the second plague. Frogs. It, and it, it says that when old, when old Peter went, not Peter of the New Testament, Peter of the Old Testament. When Peter went through Egypt, he would see frogs everywhere. Frogs had come out from all of the surrounding lands and had covered the, the land of Egypt. And when he had gone, when Peter would go to drink his coffee and he'd look in his coffee cup, guess what would be there? A frog. When he'd go to put his shoes on, his foot would be interrupted for a moment by a frog. When he'd go to lay down at night and he would pull back those sheets and those covers, guess what would be there? Frogs. You don't believe me? Read the text. It says that frogs were in the pots and the pans and the bedrooms. There were frogs everywhere. And then they all died. And what a stench arose from the land. Lice, gnats, the third plague. Lice, gnats, depending upon your translation. It refers to a biting insect. A biting insect. For those of us in North Louisiana, maybe we could better think of this, this lice, this gnat more as a mosquito. Any of you ever run into a mosquito before? A mosquito. As a matter of fact, some commentators that I read said these were mosquitoes. And there were mosquitoes everywhere. See, I, I've often stopped and said, God, why did you make a mosquito? I know there's a creative purpose behind everything, but why would you have a mosquito? And maybe this week he answered my question. He presented a mosquito so that he could show his greatness to Egypt. I've got to believe that, right? But there, there are mosquitoes, there are lice, there are gnats. The fourth plague, flies. But not just flies. If you look at the reading of the text, it says swarms. Some commentators say that that means it's a mixture a mixture of insects, all kinds of different insects that were swarming together. Most of you know I have an affinity for a place called Disney World. I love Disney World. I'm not sure I'll ever be able to return to Disney World because of what all has happened over the last few months, but I hope so one day. Over at Animal Kingdom, they've got like a little um, show that you can watch. It's called A Bug's Life. Any of you ever been there? You ever seen A Bug's Life? A few of you? You go into there and you, you're in, you're, you encounter these insects. And, of course, they're on the screen, that is. But before it's over with, I don't want to give this away to those of you who have never been there. But before it's over with, you have like an attack of the insects, right? And I will say that there are these spiders that like come down from the ceiling. I will mention that. And I remember the first time we took our younger children in there. We went and sat down. All that happened. You know what? They started crying. 
They were like, oh, what have you done? And we'd say, oh, it's just pretend. You know, it's just pretend. It's not real. Don't get too upset about it. It's fine. It's fine. Of course, then we would walk out. And later in the day, I usually like to do the bug's life earlier in the morning because later in the day, when your kids started whining or they started giving you a little trouble, you could say, listen, that's good. Why don't we go back to a bug's life? No, it's scary. We, okay, let's, let's, let's start acting a little better then. If you start acting a little better, we won't go back to a bug's life. I know that sounds mean, but look, when you become a parent, you have to find all kinds of ways to motivate your children to do what is right and holy before the Lord. You know, it's what you're trying to do. So that, that's what you can you imagine? That was pretense scaring children. But here, this is a mixture. It's all kinds of insects, everything imaginable coming and filling, filling every space of Egypt. Well, fifth, the, 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 the disease, the pestilence that comes upon the cattle, the livestock. No steaks, no milk. The boils, the, the sores that come upon the Egyptians. How painful that was, but also how embarrassing because the Egyptians prided themselves on cleanliness and hygiene. Well, plagues of hail. What the disease did not destroy of the livestock, the hail basically did. And not only that, but the flax, the barley, the plant life, the tree life. You know, every time I drive through Ruston, especially as I take the exit on 167, I cannot help but to look over and note the scar that Ruston still bears. To see how each tree in that certain area has been wounded by what we called a tornado just a little over a year ago. I mean, it was stripped down, those trees. I look at I can't help... Leslie will say, would you just stop mentioning that? That's just depressing. I said, I just can't help but look. I can't, I mean, I remember what it looked like. It was so lush and everything, and now it's, it's like so much openness that's there. But can you imagine the woundedness of the land there in Egypt as the hail came down and destroyed so much? The locusts that came and devoured everything else that was left. The darkness, the darkness the Bible says that it was darkness that you could feel. Some translations say, well, it's darkness that you grope around in. Darkness you can feel? How eerie, ominous, and obviously a sign of the judgment that God was bringing. And of course, today we won't even spend much time but just mention the death of the firstborn son, the cross of Egypt. Not only will God have struck a body blow to the Egyptian life through the firstborn, through the plague on the firstborn, that is, he will strike a body blow at, Amer at Egyptian family life as well. It, it's devastating. But what it's reminding you through all of that is that he is the Lord of nature. He's the Lord over all of these things. He controls it. Hey, the last few um, months have been difficult for a lot of us. I mean, we're just trying to get through and make decisions and what's going on. When I 
when I decided to preach through Exodus, I decided to preach through this back in October, okay? Like I usually try to pray and seek the Holy Spirit and put my preaching schedule together for the whole year. So when I put this together back in October and I thought I'm going to be talking about plagues, I never thought that in a sense we'd be living through plagues. Never. I mean, I was looking at this schedule. I was like, all right, God, I guess you were up to something back in October speaking to me and working through this because, I mean, come on, folks. Does it not feel like we're in a life of plagues today? I mean, yes, the disease, the COVID-19. I mean, I, I wouldn't even thought of that back in October. I never would have thought we'd have been something like this. And then, I don't know if you heard, but a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, they started talking about murder hornets. Are you kidding Murder hornets. And then, just in the last week or two, they were talking about a Saharan desert sandstorm. Sandstorm coming through. Do you know how far we are from the Saharan desert? And we're in North Louisiana. And all of us, I, I, I'm telling you, like I was reading through and I was seeing all this stuff and I was like, man, it seems like the plagues have come against us again. I will tell you what it's reminded me, how truly human I am. My humanness has come to the forefront. What does that mean? It means I, I see how I'm human and he's God, how there's no way I can be as good or great because there's no way I can face this stuff. I, I, do you know every day different decisions, I realize how dependent I am upon him because there's not much. We, I mean, we make plans, but do you see how plans change overnight? We see how we can't control nature. Even in our best efforts and our best technology, we cannot control nature. It should remind us that he is God. Even in these difficult times, that he's the Lord over nature itself. And it should remind us that he is the Lord over our notions. What do I mean by notions? A notion is a concept of belief. When we have certain notions about things, certain notions about ourselves, certain notions about our existence, we need to be reminded that the Lord is over all of our notions. I think that's what he shows them in this passage that we read today. In chapter 7, think about the magicians for a moment. Man, the magicians, they had notions. They had notions that they were powerful, that they were great. Oh, in the verses right before the ones I read, you had this moment where basically Aaron throws the staff down. It becomes a serpent. The magicians, they throw their rods down. And they become snakes because Satan will always try to imitate what God is doing. And Satan is powerful. Don't miss this. Satan is powerful. He can do some things. I believe it in the passage when it says the magicians threw these rods down and they became serpents. But what happens? Aaron's rod, that serpent, eats all the other serpents. At that very moment, the magician should have known, hey, their God is more powerful than ours. They should have seen the writing on the wall. They should have seen the foreshadowing, but they couldn't. They believed that they were powerful. Well, 
Here in chapter 7, verse 22, it says that they were able to turn water into blood as well because the power of Satan is real. In the second plague, they're able to conjure up the frogs and bring them onto the land just like Moses and Aaron. But then when you get to the third plague of the lice, the gnats, well, they couldn't quite do that. And in chapter 8, verse 19, the magicians say this, this is the finger of God. In other words, they say, hold on, Pharaoh, you need to understand, we can't do this anymore. This is God. This is their God. This is the one who is working right now. You need to know that. He is over our concepts and beliefs. He's over what we think our spiritual powers are. This is God. And then in chapter 9, verse 11, the magicians will have boils or sores all over them, and they will not be able to stand in the presence of Moses because God has shown his power. There's a lot of spiritual warfare going on this day. I want you to hear that. And it's powerful. I'll tell you, I think that there are still spirits that are pushing against God's kingdom each and every day of our lives. And they might make some headway. They may imitate the God above because Satan has never come up with a true idea on his own. He always takes a good one and he distorts it into some other type of image. But I want you to know that in the midst of all that spiritual warfare, there is one that is greater, and that is the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one we call Jesus. He is more powerful. He is over all of our concepts, our beliefs, our notions. Ho, oh, do you know that in the New Testament we find out the names of the magicians? They're actually mentioned. Second Timothy Chapter 3, verse 8. They're mentioned. Jannies and Jambres. Their names. Jannies and Jambres. Now, I did not say Jambros. Some of you might have heard that. Jacob Ambrose. I'm not saying he's one of these kind of magicians. He is a tricky guy sometimes. But he's not necessarily an evil worker most of the time. There's Jannies and Jambres that's mentioned by Paul to Timothy. Okay? And what is it in the context of? 2 Timothy 3. Last days, the last days. That's what it's in con The last days, it says there will be those like the magicians of Egypt. Like these two guys who will come and push back against the truth. That's what it says. And today in the last days, whatever it is, it may be 2,000 years from now Jesus comes. It might be tomorrow. I'm going to say to you that in the last days, the spiritual warfare will come against us again. But God... He is the Lord over all. He is the Lord over all notions about the magicians. He's Lord over all the notions about false deities. Oh, yeah. Don't miss the plagues. Every plague, in some sense, pushes back against the idea that the Egyptian gods are real, that the Egyptian gods are powerful. Let me, let me give you quick examples, quick examples as you think through it. Let's think about the Nile. Remember the Nile? I said to you it's like a god to Egypt. There were several gods and goddesses associated with the Nile. So when the water becomes blood, it's like God saying, <laughs> I'm over that god that you think's out there in the Nile. I'm over those goddesses that are there. Frogs? 
Did you know the Egyptians had a God that looked like a frog? They called him the God of resurrection. And yet, here's the God of the Hebrews commanding frogs to come upon the land, and then they die. By the way, there's, they all croak. None of them are resurrected in any way. Never. The frogs. You got the cattle. Oh, yeah. If you look at Egypt, Egypt had these gods that looked like cattle and bulls and all these kinds of things. And God says, hey, I'm over all the cattle and bulls. They had the gods of medicine, and yet the god of medicine could not keep the sores off of their bodies. They had the sky god, and yet it was the god of the Hebrews that commanded hell to come forth. They believed in a protector of the crops, and yet the locusts took out the crops without any type of god protecting them. And darkness, oh yeah, that darkness. Any of you that know anything about Egyptian history, you know that the Egyptians worshipped the sun. They had like all kinds of gods associated with the sun. They had one god in particular named Ray. And you know what the god of Israel said? I don't care how powerful you think your god is. I am more powerful. And that sun will not shine for three days because I am the god over all. And you and I need to see that in the plagues. And every one of them... The God of the Hebrews, the God of Israel was showing that he was superior to any other God. And I say to you today that the God we worship is superior to any other God that you will find across this globe. I don't care what kind of religious system you find, there is still a God that is above it. I don't care what kind of deity is worshipped in a certain area, the God we serve is the God that is above all. I'm going to tell you that Jesus Christ, it is only through his blood, his resurrection and salvation that you and I can come to forgiveness. It's only through him. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. There is no other. All others are pretenders to the throne. That's what, that's what he says. That's the reason some have said these are plagues that preach because they show that the God of the Hebrews is over and above all. Let me say this to you, though. You and I need to be reminded, especially living in the United States of America, how blessed we are that there's a temptation there. Because of our prosperity and materialistic blessing, sometimes we begin to serve that instead of serving the true God. I don't know if you noticed this, but most of those gods that the Egyptians had, they were associated with prosperity. Like, they'll, oh, this God will protect my crop because crop is about material blessing. Oh, this God here will give us water, and we need water for a livelihood. Notice how they're doing that. Most of us today wouldn't say, oh, we worship the Nile, but I will tell you that in the United States of America, we have become so consumed with materialism and prosperity that sometimes we worship those ideas instead of the true God that has saved us and worked in our lives. I say to you, he's above every notion that we would have. Even Pharaoh. Oh, don't miss this. The notions Pharaoh had. Pharaoh thought he was a God. Again, Egyptian history said Pharaoh thought he was divine. He was a deity. <laughs> he hardened his heart over and over and over. But the God of the Hebrews showed him exactly who had authority because every ruler and every leader no matter which nation they find themselves in every president every prime minister every king every queen ultimately has to bow before the sovereign god that we serve and so does pharaoh you see god is making history 
Pharaoh is going to become history because our God, the God of the Hebrews, is the God over all kinds of notions and God over all kinds of nations, over all the nations. Let me give you this at the end. You and I need to hear this well. The God of Israel is also the God of Egypt. The God of the Hebrews is the God of the Egyptians. He is the God over all. Old Testament pagan mindset. They believed that certain deities, certain gods, that they had certain reign in certain areas. Like they had their own territory. That's the reason you find Canaanite gods and Babylonian gods and Assyrian gods and Egyptian gods. Because they're thinking, okay, all these, all these gods, they're the patron god of the area. So you've got to like worship them. If you live, if you live in this area, it's kind of like, well, if you live in, like in the south, you got to like football, right? Kind of. Some of them praying that there is a football season. We like football. If you live in a certain area, they expect you got to worship that God because that God was the one who reigned in that place. But what the God of the Hebrews was showing is that he was also the God of the Egyptians. He's also the God of the nations. Hey, this week, I hope that you've stopped and you've prayed and said, God, just, just as Jacob led us a little bit earlier, that you prayed and you said, God, thank you for our freedoms. Lord, we pray for our nation. We pray for healing for our nation. We pray you'd heal our land. I hope you've done that. I hope that you've prayed for our leaders across the board because the Bible teaches us that we should pray for all of our leaders and authority. I, I hope that you've done those things. I am grateful for the nation in which I live. I pray for the nation in which I live. But I want you to know that the mission that God has called us to is not limited just to a nation. If my view of God's work is limited only to his working here in the United States of America, I have a puny vision of what God intends for us. Because while I do believe and pray that our God would be the king of our nation... Not in a theocratic way, just simply as we follow him and he builds his own kingdom. I also pray that he would show us a vision of the nations. Because our God is not one who just wants to rule the United States of America. He wants to rule the globe. He wants to rule the nations themselves. Our God's reign extends beyond political and geographical boundaries. Moses will make a statement later on to the people of Israel. Numbers chapter 14, verse 21. I think in a sense it's the purpose statement of God. Moses in the backwoods of nowhere. You would think he'd be concerned just about getting the people out of the backwoods. You'd think he'd just be concerned about Israel. And yet, somehow, in some way, God reveals something bigger to him. A bigger purpose and bigger plan. And this is what Moses says in Numbers 14, 21. But truly, as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Did you hear that? Moses in the backside of nowhere leading this people that really have not even become quite the people or nation yet. He speaks about how the glory of the Lord will fill the world. 
glorification of God. Our world is so connected in different ways, technology, communication, trade, economy. But here Moses said there's something bigger, something about the mission to the world, that the nations. That's the reason Israel is supposed to be known as a light unto the nation. And how is he doing it? Through the plagues. Through the plagues. All right, this is interesting to me. Some of you say, well, nothing you've said so far has been too interesting. Well, this is, this is interesting, all right? This is interesting. This is interesting. I admit, I admit freely to you that I do not know all that God is doing. His ways are above my ways. His thoughts are above my thoughts. I can't tell you exactly what God is up to. I don't know. But I know in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, that he used plagues to demonstrate his glory, to deliver his people and display his glory, to show that he was the Lord over nature, over their notions, and over the nations themselves. When I turn to the revelation of Jesus Christ, that last book of our Bible, have you ever noticed how there are all kinds of plagues that are there? I, some of you say, are you saying this? I don't know. All I know is I'm closer to seeing Jesus today than I was yesterday. I don't know if these are the last days or not. But I do know that he uses plagues even in Revelation to do what? To show his glory to all of the world. You would think, how can he use a plague? Just like he did in the book of Exodus. To show his glory and his power. And what do I see in Revelation? I see in Revelation this. There's coming a day when the king is on his throne. And all nations, those from the United States, those from across the ocean, those from all over this globe will gather around and they'll worship him because they'll recognize him as the God of all nations. The God of all nations. I pray you recognize that he is working in our midst even now to show us that he is the Lord and to show us that he is God over all nations and that we will submit ourselves to that purpose and that plan, to his mission, for his glory each and every day. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and God, you are, <laughs> you are a great God just as the band led us earlier, as Zach reminded us, I pray, Lord, that your son, the Lord Jesus, would be magnified in everything that we do and that we would see him magnified not only on the soil here in this country but also the soil overseas in other nations because, God, we know you're so much bigger than just our country. You are you are the universal being who reigns, who sees to our goodness and your glory each and every day. And God, I pray that you would stir our hearts to true commitment to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you if you just keep your head bowed, eyes closed.